So let me read, as John is organizing kind of the questions, the, what I want to do is um, some of the members reached out and asked if we could talk about abortion and kind of the discussion that's going on right now. So let me share some Bible verses that's kind of coming behind this uh, in just in general, why we're taking time to do this. And then John's going to overview the questions that you guys sent in or some of the comments you, you guys are trying to work through. And then you might have other questions that are not covered here. So... Um, Thank you for everyone who texted me or emailed me questions. Thank you to John for organizing them uh, logically. Um, but we'll continue, we could have more questions here live as well. But let's open our Bibles first. Open your Bible to Ephesians 4. So I have three passages, Ephesians, Proverbs 31, and then Romans 13. So let's go to Ephesians 4. Just a, a general comment here on why this is part of our church ministry to spend time doing what we're going to do tonight. Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, it talks about Jesus descending to the earth, uh, purchasing and getting the victory and ascending back to heaven and, and giving gifts to men. And the gifts, some of the gifts are mentioned in verse 11. So Ephesians 4.11, and Jesus himself, as he's ascending into heaven and giving gifts to humanity, he, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And what is their job? To equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry. And what is that ministry? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then, when we have this maturity in knowledge and faith, we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. So that's the context we're in. There's winds of teaching that are in our churches, in our own lives, and in the culture, and we want to make sure we're not blown by those. Verse 15, but this speaking about what the members are doing, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So your ministry, church family, is to build up the body by speaking the truth in love, by discerning the things that are going on in the world and in the church, and so that we might pursue, pursue maturity together as a church family and as a gospel witness in our neighborhood, in our community, and among the nations. So this is one of those times where we say, hey, you have a ministry to each other and to other Christians and even to non-Christians in building up the body to speak the truth in love, which means let's interact with some of the ideas because it's a live conversation right now regarding abortion with the overturning of Roe v. Wade just to a week from last Friday, a week from three days ago. So, um, so we want to have this time for equipping you for speaking the truth in love. Um, now we wanna do this from a Christ-centered way. So the three things that we're gonna kinda use to frame it at the end or at some point is, um, what is Christ saying? What comes from Christ? How do we speak this truth and these truths with Christ and in Christ? And how do we do it for Christ's glory? So that's how we're gonna kind of uh, make sure that we have a Christian framework for how we're thinking through this. But now let me turn to two passages that are more specific to issues of things like justice. So look at Proverbs 31, eight and nine, and then we'll go back to Romans 13. But Proverbs 31, eight and nine,
Proverbs 31.8. I see some of you still tapping your way over there on your phones. Just get there, okay? You guys there? Proverbs 31.8 says, um, Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. All right, so the call in verse 8 is to speak up. For those who have no voice, speak up for justice. And in verse 9, speak up again. And there's another command in verse 9, judge righteously. So look at the situation and make a righteous judgment, a righteous discerning call on what's, what is righteousness, what is unrighteousness. And then defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. Now that applies to all kinds of situations, not just abortion, but it certainly applies there as well. Now, Romans 13, 9 is the last passage here. And again, now this may be even more specific to abortion in particular. Romans 13, 9 is um, quoting some of the Ten Commandments. So the commandments in Romans 13, 9, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, that can also be translated, do not kill. Do not kill or do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So we want to love our neighbors well, born and unborn, uh, those with unwanted pregnancies as well, mothers. Um, so we want to love well. And we also want to uphold commands like do not kill. So those are some things we're thinking about here with the abortion issue. Okay, so those are things to kind of frame just with some Bible text. Oh, wait, one more thing. Let me read to you. This is, this is the longer version. In our Confession of Faith, we have the Christian and social order. But it, it's a truncated version of the Baptist faith and message. So I'm going to read the longer version, the Baptist faith and message conf confessional statement, Article 15, um, on the Christian and social order. All Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. All right, so that's, um, that's a way to frame it. Um, John, you want to summarize some of the or the questions and kind of the order of the categories you've put it in? I'm going to ask for two men to um, grab this table and put it back here. Um, so Ross and June, and then I'm going to move this pulpit back. You guys go this way.
So I'm going to categorize into four sections. Number one, uh, Roe v. Wade, what it is. It, like, when did it become politicized? What's the background on that? Number two, um, whether or not Christian can slash should be pro-choice uh, and, and contrasting that with pro-life. Number three, the, the what about particular issues or specific scenarios um, and, and test cases in regards to abortion and, and the mother's health? And lastly, uh, how can we care for both the child and for the mother? Okay. Do you guys hear those categories? Is there anything that wasn't listed there that you might want to say, hey, I have a another question or thing I want to bring up and make sure we discuss. Ricky, anyone else? Yeah, we'll, we'll get a microphone to Ricky. Anyone else besides Ricky, after Ricky? All right. Ricky, and then we're gonna, I guess we'll just start talking through that order and then. Go ahead. So you said I can just ask a question that wasn't there? Is that what you said? I'm sorry? You said I can just ask a question from a category uh, he didn't list? That he didn't list about abortion. Okay. I, I just have a question how to like interact with certain people because there, there's stories in the Bible where God has killed everyone including babies so, and non-believers know that. Yeah. So how would I interact with them if they know that? Like, yeah. It's a good one. Okay. So the theological question, if God has ordered Israel to kill all people including babies, uh, I think of immediately Saul with the Malachites in 1 Samuel 13, 14, 15, where he's telling him to wipe out all the Malachites and, um, yeah, including babies, then what do we do with that? So I don't know where to put that in, but we could start from the top here and then just kind of bookmark that. Yeah. Uh, first, what is the history of Roe v. Wade and when did it become politicized? That was the first question. Do you want to answer it? Uh, I would, in short, I would say Google Joe Carter uh, on Roe v. Wade. He has a bunch of TGC articles kind of outlining some of the history of it. Um, Roe v. Wade was a judicial decision that was passed in 1973. Um, a lot of people misunderstand it in terms of just kind of limiting abortions to the first trimester. But what that case actually did was it institutionalized abortion in all 50 states. So up until that point, States were individually able to kind of legislate uh, how they would restrict, permit, or forbid abortions in each individual state. What, uh, what Roe v. Wade did was it institutionalized abortion um, up to the first trimester in every state. It, 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 it prohibited states from limiting, yeah, yeah, from prohibiting right. abortion. Yeah, and, and the particular issue was that they interpreted the 14th Amendment uh, which was uh, the second of three that were really just trying to emancipate slaves and create equity for, for black Americans, uh, and interpreted a particular clause in the 14th Amendment to include the right to end kind of uh, a fetus in a woman's body. So, so that, that would be the other part of it as well. We do expand kind of the liberty uh, in the 14th Amendment to include uh, quote, unquote, a woman's right to choose to end a fetus in her body. Yeah. Ready to move on to the next one. Now, if you guys have questions, you want to just raise your hand and we'll just run a mic to you. Okay, Bethany. Should we use the word fetus? Is that, I mean, I hear a lot of people in the pro-life say baby. Is it helpful to say baby versus fetus? Or what's the terminology that's helpful to use? John used fetus. 
Well, the reason why I'm using fetus isn't because I don't think that fetuses are babies. Uh, I'm just trying to use the term in light of kind of what Roe v. Wade was discussing in particular. Right? Uh, so when I'm discussing something like a legal case, uh, for me personally, I'm going to try to use language um, that both sides can kind of agree that that was the actual issue that they were discussing. I'm not trying to make a moral value case in my explanation of what the argument was about, if that makes sense. So that, in, or, oh, sorry, yeah. in order to be a charitable kind of disagreeer or engaging in any argument, what I want to do is I want to frame the discussion as charitably as I can first and then move into where I stand and why I stand there. And let's ask the truth question. I mean, is it a fetus? Is that, is that a true statement? Bethany, do you know? <laughs> I guess if people are using fetus as like non-human, I mean, that's a little bit more than what the word is, isn't it? Yeah, if, if fetus is just a human being that hasn't been born yet. Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's still true to say that. You could say more than that. I mean, a lot of people mean it as to dehumanize the unborn fetus or baby, but I think it's still a true, like it, it, does, it is a fetus, so. But I, I feel your, your thing on like, well, we don't want to dehumanize the baby, and we don't. That's part of the discussion, though. Yeah. yeah. Anything else on Roe v. Wade? A couple of historical points that I'll make really quickly. Um, number one, evangelicals in American history are actually really bad on, on pro-life issues. So a lot of people, a lot, even the Southern Baptist Convention was pro-choice at one point uh, during the discussions. The second thing would be that during the Roe v. Wade discussions, they did not have nearly as much uh, medical information as we do now about what's going on inside of the womb in terms of uh, the, the baby that's growing inside of it. The third thing I would say is that the early church has a long history of viewing abortions as homicide. Right? Um, basically viewing the, the, the person growing in the womb as an actual person. Uh, you can even see that um, that logic kind of play itself out in Hebrews 7, which I preached this morning. I, I didn't mention it explicitly, um, but, but the author of Hebrews views Levi as inside Abraham, right? Uh, and, and not that Abraham kind of gives birth to Levi, but, but there's an assumption that the potentiality of life is linked to life itself, even there. And you see how logic plays itself out in the early church as well, in the way that they understood abortions, and the way that they wrote about it. So, so just some overarching history facts there for you. Question number two, is it sinful for a Christian to be pro-choice? Is it sinful for a Christian to be pro-choice? Um, it is sinful to, so, and this is what, let, I mean, besides the legality of it, what we're trying to do here at BBC is to make sure we understand what the Bible says about the morality of it, right? So killing a baby is sinful. And um, being okay with killing a baby would also be, like being okay with sin would be a way of approving sin. So I think it would be sinful to, to be okay with killing unborn babies. Thoughts? Follow-up question to that. What if someone views, say, between the Democratic Party platform or Republican Party platform, and they understand abortion to not be the primary issue, right? So they're okay with pro-choice legislation because they think that the bigger issue is something behind it, like how the mother is doing economically or, uh, or the conditions in which the baby would be born into. Yeah. That that's more important than laws regarding abortion. What would you say to that? 
I would say that that's within wisdom to figure out. So that's like a political calculus at that point of like what vote and which policy is better for overall uh, protecting human life among other issues that are going on. And so I wouldn't say that, so, uh, so for me to say that doesn't mean it, it's wrong to vote for a particular candidate who is pro-choice. I'm not saying that, what I'm, what I'm saying is if you believe that killing, so when I say pro-choice, what I mean is if you believe that um, unnecessarily killing unborn babies is okay, that is not okay, to think that that it is okay. That's what I mean by it's sinful, not how you vote or what policies or candidates you're voting for. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. Uh, if you guys have, uh, yeah, Emily, Jose, and Peter. Microphone's right there. What would you say to someone just like trying to strike the balance between the Romans, one, like they not only practice sin, but give approval to those who, who practice do sin, who do them? Um, like balance between that and then the people who will argue, but abortion rates were lower beforehand. So really, if you're, if you're pro-life, the policy being in place is actually gonna up the number of abortions. I've heard that argument a lot in the past little bit and I don't really know how to respond to it. Yeah, um, so what I'd say is, it, the, the law itself, the law that was the law of the line up until last Friday, was an unrighteous evil law. It's evil to prohibit states from prohibiting abortion. That's an evil law. Whether it increases abortion or not, that's something we need to be concerned about, but in and of itself, the law was evil. And it is a righteous thing to strike down an evil law. Now, it might have a, a, averse effects in terms of the, the, the amount of abortions in some, for some period of time. I don't even know. It could be for a really long period of time. But that's, that's, um, that, doesn't, that doesn't inform really the, the, just, the justness, the righteousness or unrighteousness of the law itself. So just morally speaking, I, I'm again, not going to the legality of like the Constitution, 14th Amendment. Just biblically speaking, like in terms of morals, it's wrong to prohibit states from protecting unborn babies. That's evil. And it's, it's, a, it's a good thing that that is no longer the law of the land. That is in line with righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean we're not concerned about the, the overall amount. It's just that could kind of confuse the categories a little bit and make us be like, oh, well, I guess at the end of the day, what matters is less abortions. Less abortions does matter. That's not the only thing that matters, though. Unrighteous laws matter because it does, it does preach and reinforce morals. So that, that's a good thing that it's struck down. Yeah, so, it, so to build off of that, I want to create two categories. One is uh, principle, and the other is practice, right? So in principle, the, the question as to whether or not it's sinful to be pro-choice is really in the principial category. Like, is it okay for a Christian to think that's all right, right, to end a, a human life in the womb? I think an answer that everyone should have as a Christian, if we teach correctly, should be, uh, yes, it is sinful, Right, um, so so answer your pro-choice question, I think that should be abundantly clear. Um, with laws that are so closely tied uh, to that principle, uh, it's gonna be really easy to have black and white kind of opinions about those things, right? So an example would be Roe v. Wade, right? That institutionalizes abortion in the first trimester in all 50 states. Uh, in terms of the black and white scale, that, that's pretty squarely in the black category. Right? Uh, we could talk about implications afterwards, right? but in principle, we should all be able to agree that, that a government that allows something like that is supposed to be protecting the lives of those that are under their care is a bad thing. Right? Yeah. Now, if, if a Christian, though, wants to make a calculus 
and what kind of policies or what kind of government efforts they want to support in light of the effect that they think would happen afterwards. It's totally okay for a Christian to make estimates like that. Right? Um, so I, I had a friend who worked in healthcare policy. Um, he came from a very, very Republican state. Right? And upon working on the Hill for a couple of years, he became much more moderate. And the reason uh, that I asked him was because he could come up with feasible reasons Right? after working on the policy field for so long, why someone might justify voting Democratic in an effort to decrease kind of the amount of abortions that are done in their area. Right? Now that is a wisdom calculus in practice. That should not affect someone's principle. Right? So if someone said that they decided they weren't going to vote for a particular candidate because they weren't convinced that that person was going to help in this kind of calculus, but they think that this other person's plans might help in a different way, um, they can make that calculation. And they can also be wrong in that calculation, but their intent needs to be in line with their principle. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. We got 15 okay. minutes. Okay. Just here. Um, one, one more thing um, with, with what, even just answering the question, I'm actually, and the way I'm coming at it is, it could even be unconstitutional. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not basing my, take on Roe v. Wade on the Constitution. Let's say the Constitution allowed for abortion. I would just say then the Constitution's un unrighteous. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a moral declaration from the Bible, not whether it's legal. Now, we can debate whether it's legally permissible. Is it in the 14th Amendment or not? I have an opinion on that, but I'm trying here, especially in this context, to avoid that conversation. Not that I don't want to have that conversation, but here's a church gathering, and I'm trying to teach you how the Bible informs certain things that are clear. Okay. So with that being said, Jose, quickly. Jose's question okay. is the same as uh, the last okay. one. Okay, and then there was someone else. Peter. Okay, yeah. Um, one other thing that I think the way the question was phrased, and we'll, we'll try to be lightning around here just because there's a lot of different things. Um, I think the question was phrased, can someone be a Christian and be, be pro-choice? Or something like that. Does that? Simple. Or is it just sinful? Okay, well, just in case some of you are thinking, can, I, can someone be a Christian and be pro-choice? Did anyone ask that? Did someone say that? Okay, yes. Can someone be a Christian? And the answer is yes. Just like, can someone be a Christian and be a sinner? The answer is yes. All Christians, until you die, you're a sinner. Uh, can, can Christians own slaves and be a Christian in the 1830s? Yes. Now, that's sinful. So, you can't be a credibly public Christian with known sin that you're unwilling to repent of. But unintentional sin or sin you're unaware of, now, you're still coupled for not being aware of that sin, but you can be credibly, publicly a Christian in unintentional sin and unrepentant over your unintentional sin. And such, is, such seems to be the category right now with a little bit of a confusion. So can someone be a Christian and be pro-choice today? Yes, but as they keep learning about it and they start to see what the Bible clearly says and then they still refuse, just like racism or slave owning in the past, then I'd say you can't be a Christian if you know it's a sin and you still want to do it. But if you don't know and you're really unintentionally doing it, yeah, you just need to keep learning and growing like we all do with, with blind spots in our lives. Okay, so thanks for that question, Eden. John, next one. Uh, two kind of hypothetical situations. One, what if the pregnancy has a strong chance in causing death to the mother? Then, um, so, so the principle, again, so to John's principle and practice, the principle is saving life. 
And, that, and so sometimes it could, they could put the gray, and I think one of the sisters sent me that video, and I watched the whole thing about the gray and the medical, and I even like wrote down the whole quote, because there's actually a lot of things I could just pick apart in that quote uh, that I sent to one of the sisters who sent me a video arguing for it. But, but the, what I think it could, it could become a smoke screen. The question is, are we trying to protect all life? So if you need to save the mother or save the, save the child, and if you're saving the mother by, by allowing the child to die or by assisting that the, for, the, for the saving of the mother's life, that's a principle of pro-life because you're trying to save lives. You're trying to minimize death. That's not the same thing as, like, oh, well, if you do that, then what's wrong with, with just killing willingly? Well, no, when, when you have the option, then you should save all life. That's the point. But when it really is a choice between two, um, then you can't, uh, it's, not, it's not wrong. So, I mean, a horrific situation that happened in Hurricane Tr Katrina um, was when a, mo a mother was stuck with two, with two of her children in her arms and she could only save one of the kids as one of them was gonna float away as the water was pulling her. And she actually had both kids, one hand each, and had to let go of one of her children to save the other child. That is not, she, she shouldn't feel, I mean, you could, you could imagine wrestling with guilt, but that is not a, that is not sinful in and of itself. It's really like, I'm gonna lose both children if I don't let go of one and take two hands to one child. That is a pro-life principle like of, of trying to save as many lives as possible. That's different than saying, well, because of that, then why don't you just, it's okay to let kids go. No, it's not okay to let kids go. It's just, you're in a really tough situation. So that situational problem does not cancel the principle of trying to save all life. Anything to add? on that that can help clarify? Yeah, uh, hospitals are not restricted by uh, abortion restricting laws when it comes to the health of the mother, right? Um, so, so doctors have the ability to make calls in, in order to save life in moments like that. Because again, the goal is to save life, yep. right? So in the case in which the health of one is jeopardized by the other, generally they'll opt to save the mother's life. And it doesn't have to do with a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A voluntary decision to terminate someone's pregnancy regardless of kind of the health condition of the mother. Yeah. Second uh, situational question. Um, Again, just raise your hand if you have something. John's just going to keep going for the sake yeah. of time. It, if someone has a miscarriage, is it sinful to take the option for an abortion pill in order for the baby to pass? Oof. If they, have a, if they already have had the miscarriage yeah. and the baby is no longer alive? Or not viable, yeah. Not viable but still alive? I don't know. It, if, it, the, if the baby's the term, not, the term is if someone has a miscarriage. So if, if they have a miscarriage and the baby's passed away, then it wouldn't be wrong. I mean, you're not killing a baby. The baby is dead. Yes. So that that on, on the miscarriage. If someone wrote that question, wants to follow up on that. Okay. Yes. Oh, you wrote. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Go on. Move on. Jim, did I articulate the doctor thing all right? Okay. Good. Uh, next. Any other quick situational questions before I move on to the next question? Doctors are going to make their best call, and they're not—they're not omniscient, right? Like just whenever, so they're going to—they're going to make their best call. Again, it's the principle of trying to save all life as much as possible. That's what we need to insist on and preach. Oath. Yeah, that's a Hippocratic oath. That is it. Yeah. Eden. Microphone coming to Eden, right across from Candace to Kate to Eden. Um. I saw a post the other day where a mom was very upset because um, the baby in her stomach was like actively dying and just 
not actively dying, but suffering from a lot of heart attacks. And she was just really mad because the doctors wouldn't let her have an abortion, even though the baby was going to die. So what would, like, would she be right in importing the baby if the baby was already dying or what would happen? So if I could just go back to the Baptist faith and message, what we're saying is we are advocating for all of life from birth or from conception to natural death. So we're, t we're talking about natural death as opposed to, uh, if, if the baby's dying, then, then allowing for nature to, to run its course, because we're all dying in that regard. And so, so to preempt it with, with that, just for the sake of like, oh, I, the baby's already gonna die, then I would say, no, we're, we're, we're fighting for all of life from conception to natural death. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the other thing is that those kind of particular what about situations Number one, statistically tend not to make up even 10% of abortion cases, probably less than 5%. Um, secondly, those kind of exceptions don't disprove rules, yeah. right? Um, so, so extreme scenarios don't change the principle, right? It's fine to wrestle with extreme scenarios, right? Uh, that's actually okay for us to do as Christians, yeah. right? The question is, how does the principle apply to that particular situation? That particular situation shouldn't change the way we think about the principle. Does that make sense? In terms of that, that movement there? So a lot of smoke screening going on and just kind of like whataboutism. And you just need to kind of keep the principle clear, like John's saying, just keep going in that direction. Yeah. Um, last question, how do we articulate and how, how do we as a church make sure that we're caring for both the baby and the woman? You want to answer that? Yeah, one, one good question to ask yourself really practically is what would happen if a, if a woman at our church got pregnant out of wedlock? Uh, I think that's a really good question to ask yourself as a church. Just to be really clear, I think, I think over 30% of abortions that happen in America are done by evangelical women. And so the, the issue isn't necessarily that they think that the child in their body isn't a person as much as they're so overwhelmed by their circumstance that they feel pressured and even deceived, whether by satanic forces or their environment around them to, to do something that even they believe is horrendous, right? So what we want to do as a church is we don't want to accept a false dichotomy, like we somehow want to advocate for the baby and not for the woman, right? We want to care for all life, right? Which means that we want to care for people too, right? Uh, and so I was part of a church in Kentucky that had a sister that got pregnant out of wedlock and the church got to rejoice over her repentance and, and the pastor got to call the men of the church to care for her child like a father, right? I think that's the kind of attitude that we should be having with our own members and the people that we speak to, right? Sin is horrendous, but Jesus is bigger, right? So we wanna be caring for people in all their individual scenarios. The second thing is that there are women in our church that have had abortions, right? Uh, and, and it's good that we recognize that, right? Uh, we're not saying that all the women do that out themselves, right? But be sensitive with the way that you talk about things. Right? It'd be clear on your convictions, but be compassionate because we're talking about people, right? people that could be deceived, people that could be overwhelmed, um, et cetera. Thirdly, uh, see how you can help right? in, in areas. We don't want to just be speaking in this. Right? And everyone's going to have different burdens and different convictions and different strategies for themselves. But be proactive in caring for people right? and meeting their needs. Right? Um, Ruby works at a teen pregnancy center and talk, has conversations with teenage moms. Right? There are things that you could be doing in order to contribute to your community and care for people well. You, you said briefly that people have had abortions. Um, what would you say to some of the members who've had an abortion? 
or to um, yeah, those who are wrestling with guilt about it, especially as this conversation is coming up again and again? Yeah, uh, I, think, I think that there are going to be two temptations that you have, right? One is to feel as though in order to cope with life, uh, you need to be in denial about what happened, right? And I just, I just want to dissuade you from doing that um, because what happens is when we make sin small, we actually make our Savior small as well. Right? Uh, it's not good for us to, to kind of clamp down on sins that we've committed in our past. We want to actually look at them face on. Uh, the second thing is that the second temptation for someone who's gone through abortion, I think, would be to feel overwhelmed and feel like you've kind of committed an unforgivable sin. Right? For that, I just want to say that, that all of us, because of our sin, are far dirtier than we think that we are in our worst moments. Right? The good news for us isn't that we can somehow make ourselves cleaner, but that Jesus can make us clean. Right? There's no sinner that sins so much that Jesus can't reach you. Right? And so, so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we look at that kind of sin in light of the ugliness and apply even more grace to that. Jesus cannot go bankrupt in paying for your sin. Right? He has grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And if you feel trapped or you feel like suffocated, like you need to be isolated in light of this, I want to encourage you, find a couple church members that you trust and share that with them. Right? I think that you would find that to be really freeing. Right? And, and for us as church family, that's an opportunity for us to listen, to cry, to mourn, and, and to comfort and be there for each other in light of that. Thanks, John. Good answer. Any other questions from you guys? That's pretty much so. Sam and then Pearl. That's a great answer. And we're doing good on time. Um, is there a general agreement within Christian circles around what conception is defined as? Or is I, there, yeah. Yeah, I don't know Christian how do you, circles. How do you define conception? Uh, yeah. Um, Fertilized egg, so when the sperm and the egg, yeah, fertilized egg. But I'm happy to be corrected by those who are more um, scientifically precise. So that's not, I'm not saying that from the Bible. <laughs> I'm just saying that from what I've heard. Uh, but I don't know what the consensus is, like, in terms of conversation. I think some people would argue, like, well, I mean, uh, one, one, video that was sent was, it doesn't matter when life started. So th I just, I think whenever life starts, so let's just say they're like saying it's not at conception, but it's somewhere else. I think it's okay to have the conversation there. So when I've, we had, um, Ross was with me and brought a friend and we were in the backyard talking about pro, talking about abortion. And I just said, okay, well, from whenever you start life. So if you're saying three months in the womb, okay. So at three months, if that's a life, are, at that point, are you saying it shouldn't be legal anymore. So again, a smoke screen of like when it starts, just w at whatever point you think it starts. Now, if you just think outside the womb, then you can start talking about why, you know, but I almost think it's just, it's, it's a, it's a distraction to start to, to debate conception or, th you know, whatever. So Pearl. Yes. Um, thank you for your articulation on the principle versus practice. Um, but I think what that got me thinking about was how do you see the link between, I was also really struck by the statistic that 30% of evangel evangelical women get abortions. So in thinking about that, um, I was just thinking about if you see, and if you thought about the connection between 
like the mistreatment, abuse, assault, et cetera, of women in the church. I guess specifically even thinking about the SBC with things that happened this year. But I mean the church at large, right? Um, how do you see the connection between like 30% of evangelical women are getting abortions even though they're hearing probably most likely from their pastors that abortion is a sin um, and that in principle that that is not Christian, um, et cetera, but they still choose to do it. I don't know. So I just want to hear how you have connected or see the link between how women are treated or not treated, mistreated in the church and how that is how that could be, yeah, and how you would answer that from that kind of principal perspective. Maybe maybe that would be more of a practice thing. Um, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, uh, just to clarify on the statistic real quick, I'm not saying 30% of all evangelical women have committed abortions. I might have said that. Uh, this is being recorded because that's really terrifying. Uh, we are not inerrant, so we will feel free to say that we're wrong amen. if we're wrong. Amen. The Bible's inerrant. I think we, we all need to be able to admit uh, we're wrong. Yeah. So I'm saying 30%. I I believe over 30% of women who get abortions, right, claim to be evangelical Christians, right. Um, so there's a couple things in there. Um, so here here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to take one sin like abuse that God hates, right? Um, and then begin to think that that sin's horrendousness, severity, or consequence somehow gets diminished, right, if we fight another sin that God also hates, right? So, so if we agree that, that abortion is sinful, right, then, then what you don't want to do is I don't want to then take that to somehow diminish the principle of, of murder on the basis of, right, another horrendous sin that God also hates, right? Because um, what that does is it takes two understandings of God that I think are logically and theologically consistent and then pits them against each other. And that kind of situation, you just can't win, right? Uh, so just to be really clear, um, like, I think that rape, abuse, especially sexual abuse in churches, is absolutely horrendous. I think God hates it even more than I do. Right. Uh, my heart, I think that's true. Yeah. And, and, and I think God's heart breaks over victims of sexual assault and all sorts of evil, that, that especially that has happened in people who bear the name of Christ. Mm. Right. Um, at the same time, what I don't want to do is then see, in light of that, uh, horrendous sin that has happened to permit another horrendous sin from happening. That's right. Right? So, the question that I want to ask myself as a pastor is, number one, I need to teach clearly, principially, to not make that compromise. Right? To, to not sacrifice one for the sake of the other. Right? That, that effort to protect the lives of the unborn that we somehow diminish the severity of sexual assault. Right? At the same time, I don't want to look at the severity of sexual assault and then somehow reduce the significance of the life of the unborn. Right? So, that, so that's a teaching responsibility. The second thing is pastorally, I want to make sure that our church is a place that can accommodate for the evil consequences of sin, right? for the harmful consequences of sin. Right? So, so I agree that being a mother is incredibly difficult, right? uh, especially for someone that might not have chosen to walk down that path. For that, I want to urge them to 
even in that bitter providence, to trust God and do everything that we can as a church to support them. Right? That's why I think asking questions like what our church would do in certain scenarios become really helpful. Right? Um, because there are all sorts of people that are going to encounter all sorts of difficult things in their lives. Right? And we share that all the time as a church, that we're going to be a burden to each other. Right? Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to be compassionate and convictional at the same time. Right? I want to urge our church to do everything that we can to care for the consequences of horrendous sins while not then encouraging or permitting another sin from occurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Thanks, John. That's good. Any question? Any other? So, Bethany, I'm just going to survey now for this is just last call. Sorry, I have a follow up to that. Okay, Pearl just- and then Bethany and then anyone else. Last call. Um, Sally, so- hold on, hold on, hold on, Pearl. Right. Anyone else? Sally, anyone else? Oh, and then Ricky's question. Okay, those will be the last ones. Okay, go ahead, Pearl. Okay, um, I think, so my question is more like practical, like how can we and how is the church in light of that, right? Like trying to be both, I mean, and I guess you're saying it from the pastor's perspective of being like convicting, but also compassionate. Um, how can we help build up trust? I feel like that, I feel like a lot of women may have lost. Do you know what I mean? I, or maybe I'm coming from that situation and just assuming that a lot of women don't may not trust the church if they were to have an unwanted pregnancy. But in the case that there is this kind of broken trust, how can we as a church and I guess as pastors help heal that broken trust? Yeah, so I would say don't worry about the overall reputation of the church. Just be someone who loves and actually engages the person. And the more Christians who do that, the more eventually the reputation changes. But you can't control the reputation as a whole. Just make sure you're engaged with those with those women or whoever and just be faithful and then call other church members to continue to be faithful to engage. But don't let the reputation like, how do we change this thing so people perceive us a certain way? That's an endless, That's a hamster wheel that you'll never get off of so don't so just love and actually do the work of caring for the person the, the other thing i'd say in light of that is that like me saying things like what i just said here is what helps with that right uh i i want people to hear me from the stage say things like we want to care for women who get pregnant out of wedlock right or or are pregnant out of tragic circumstances i want to make that explicit and clear in the way that i teach things so when situations like that come up Right, we, we have categories for things like that in our mind, right? That there's nothing so scandalous that would shock us as Christians. The world is deeply scarred and sinful, right? What we want to do is we want to have our convictions in hand, right? And the love of Christ in the other, right? And ready to encounter whatever the world may throw at us, right? Um, so we can't possibly have a contingency plan for every single sin that exists in the world. There's just too much, right? What we have is a compass, right, with scripture, right, and we have love, right, in, in our ability to care for people, and so we, we want to do our best in light of that. Yeah. Bethany? Um, I think something that's more of a gray area, it seems, in churches is um, hormonal birth control that may cause abortions, um, and one of my friends just told me that they're using a birth control that, through my research, I feel like does cause abortions, so do you guys have any wisdom for me how to have should I have a conversation with this person what does that look like because I don't think it's well talked about and so not a lot of people are aware um, that that could be a risk of certain birth controls but should is it something that I should bring up yeah so you're talking about the pill pills yeah or the IUD or the what 
IUD, right? I don't know what that is. So. Okay. If you know that it's abortive, yes, you should have a I mean, as much as you can have a conversation. We're always discipling each other all the time, right? So we want to speak the truth in love. And we want to build people up and we want to speak for the unborn and for those who are oppressed and don't have a voice. So you, the answer is yes, but that doesn't mean you just start, you know, you get on the phone after, as soon as the, this evening gathering is over and just start blasting the person. It has to be done in wisdom and tact, um, but yes, generally, general yes, as opportunity allows and as the Lord leads, yes. All right, um, Sally, and did Sandra have one too? Sandra, no, you're just with the baby, okay. That's what I thought, Sally. Just to uh, piggyback on like John, what John said and you guys. Um, so I have two kids that I had at a wet log. I was 23 and 24. And I wanted to share that real quick because it's extremely hard, Christian or non-Christian, to have a baby or be pregnant and have an unwanted pregnancy and the father wanting to get an abortion. So I think it's very important not just to do your research on like abortion legalities, but the, how hard it is, um, especially as um, a woman in college or whatever, married, to have a baby when they are not ready or not wanted, or it's not wanted to them. And um, yeah, that just had the compassion there. And um, also to keep in mind that people that do, people, women that do have abortions, they still go through postpartum. Even though the baby, like fetus or um, zygote, they still go through postpartum. And um, they might not know that it's postpartum, but they still go through it as a body and it's extremely hard and sometimes they black out. So just to be mindful that this is such a, to such a touchy topic, even though the culture is so adamant and so loose about abortion, it's still a really rough one. So just keep that in mind as uh, your, your sisters, your friends may choose. Okay, so let, let me close with saying this. Notice that we did not um, focus on or even drive really partisan politics. It really isn't about a political party and whose side is winning. That really is just so, so beside the point of what we're talking about here. Okay, and I'm glad that most of your questions are in that regard, but I want, to, I, want you, I want you to stay there. Okay, where what the Bible says and what we're doing to love our neighbors as ourselves, that's what we're about. And when it, whether it lines up in certain ways with, with certain parties in certain aspects, that's okay, but that just doesn't drive. That's so secondary or tertiary to what we're trying to do as Christians who are following Christ and loving our neighbors with the love of Christ. So with that being said, I just want to close here with... Um, a post here from uh, Pastor Thabiti Anyabwile, who said, the SCOTUS ruling overturning Roe is, is one small but massively important step toward ending abortion. However, it does not end the practice but return it to the states. It's a pyrrhic victory if state and grassroots level work doesn't carry the work forward. So it almost, it's a hollow victory, and actually if we don't carry it forward then, and we just think, yay, praise God, Roe is overturned, like this just ends our work here, and now we can focus on other things. That's, that not only is it a hollow victory, but claiming it as a victory actually does more damage than good if you think that that's the goal. Um, then he says, by carry the work forward, I mean the work to not just forbid abortion, which we should do, but to A, make it unthinkable, and B, create conditions for women that help them escape the dreadful situation altogether. We must advance a pro-abundant life ethic that does three things, that saves babies, that serves mothers, and that supports fatherhood. Okay, that's what we want to be as Christians. 
Okay, we want to do that in loving our neighbors as ourselves to represent Christ and to draw people and call people to enjoy and know uh, Christ who is the truth and really to repent from their sins and, and know Christ as Savior, Lord, and treasure. So that's what we want to be about. Uh, we continue to work. We continue to wait on the Lord. We continue to pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And until he comes, we want to be faithful all the way to the end. And we want to keep growing in this. So keep the conversation going. If you have more questions, feel free to talk amongst each other. Feel free to hit up the pastors. Um, we don't know everything. We're all we're learning together too. So we want to keep thinking through things. And we don't have the answer to all those questions, uh, to all questions. But we want to keep thinking through it together. Let's grab our song sheets. And we're going to ask Paul and Angela to lead us in our closing song, which is, and then we'll, we'll pray. Um, let's sing 